it's, uh, it's a little cliche to say that the future is bright because right now is really bright. Uh, amen? Um, wow, that was awesome. Um, so uh, the last couple of weeks uh, has been uh, on a really an abundant time of ministry. That's a really... Uh, Christ follower way of saying busy. Um, and so uh, two weeks ago, uh, myself and my wife and Amber, we were all at Little Galilee Christian Camp for junior high, main three. Uh, the beds are still not comfortable. Um, but we were out there for a week of camp, and uh, it was just awesome to watch God work in a week of Christian camp in Clinton, Illinois. We got to watch as 20 kids gave their life to Christ in baptism. Um, and, and there were like five or six more that were going home to make that decision and commitment at home. Uh, three of them were our kids here from church, uh, and that was just awesome. Uh, Evie Langer, uh, Jim and Tiffany Langer's daughter, was one. Uh, Ivan Alvarez, Jessica Alvarez's son, was another. And Joel Park, JT and Grace Park's son, was another one of our baptisms that we got to witness uh, God do. And that was just amazing to be a part of and just watch. It was just so cool. Uh, this last week, uh, here in our community, FCA had their uh, uh, annual camp, uh, and that was really cool. I got to be a part of that. We sent uh, our kids, went to that for the week. Like, we had the first couple of days, our, our third and fifth grader got to go to that for the first couple of days, and then our junior higher got to go to the uh, last three days of the camp, and I got to be the chapel speaker for the junior high uh, camp, and it was just awesome. They had two sessions of camp, both with 400 campers at Urbana High School, and let me tell you something. There is something really cool about getting to stand on a public high school stage with 400 kids in the audience and get to preach the gospel. That is just really cool. Just a really cool thing. God is doing amazing work in the next generation, and I am just excited to get a front row seat. It's just been really, really cool. And so uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. I'm probably going to talk fast, so buckle up. Uh, that's just where we're going to be. Uh, now, I want to start I want to start this morning with a passage that we're just going to build a framework around our series, all right? This, this is a passage we're not going to live in very long, but it's a passage that's just going to set up the framework of a series we're going to start today, and it is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. This is going to be our framework for the next four weeks of messages that we're going to be in. But I want to start with this question that I think we can all relate to. Maybe it's a question that, that you've pondered maybe even recently. What did you want to be when you grew up? 
Okay, so I'm talking like eight-year-old you where there's no like limitations, where you're like, I want to start the first soccer team in space. It's like maybe that was your goal. Uh, but let's, let's have some interaction here real quick. What did you want to be when you grew up? Anybody? Anybody brave enough? Yes. Indiana Jones. Amen. Anybody see the new movie? It was awesome. Uh, so much better than number four. He wanted to be Indiana Jones. Eric's great, but he's not Indiana Jones. So, I mean, we're, we're still working on the disappointment of that, but that's okay. That's great. Anybody else brave enough to share? What did you want to be when you grew up? Yes. Firefighter. Firefighter. Oh, yes. Did anybody else try and light their garage on fire so that they could be the firefighter? No? Yeah. What was Tim did? Oh, you lit the chicken coop on fire. You got to meet the firefighters. What a great thing. I'm sure, I'm sure mom didn't think that was great. No, that's why you sit on opposite sides of the worship center now. That's fine. You at home don't understand. Come on back to church. It's fine. You get it. It's no problem. Anybody else brave enough? One more. Anybody else? What do you want to be when you grew up? Anybody? Nobody else? Yes, in the back. A model. I did too. Uh, it didn't work out. It did not work out for me. Uh, for me, I had a couple of things I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, one was I wanted to be in the NBA. Um, and that's funny to the audience at home uh, because I stopped growing in fifth grade. And so, uh, but our gravel driveway in Rockford quickly became the United Center where Michael Jordan was passing me the ball for the last second shot, because he was nervous to take it, obviously. Uh, he would pass me the ball, and I'd shoot it, three, two, one, and then I'd miss it and have to get it and reset the play up again until I made it. That really didn't pan out very well. And so then I turned my attention to maybe I'll be a professional baseball player, all right? Now, I was good at both sports, but not pro basketball player good, and I was Christian college baseball team good, but not major league baseball team good. And so that didn't really work out. In high school, I really like seriously thought about becoming a mechanic. Uh, I heard you could make some really good money. I was in shop class. The first Fast and Furious movie just came out, and I was ready to like make a lot of money working with my hands and getting under the hood of a car. And just that was that sounded so exciting to me. And then the Lord just called me into ministry, and I was like, okay, that sounds great. What did you want to be when you grew up? Now, now, putting careers aside, did any of us process beyond what we would do for a living and think about how we might live? There's a difference there. You see, being an ambassador is beyond what we do for a living. It's about how we live. We're going to spend this week and the next three weeks talking about what it looks like to live the life of an ambassador. You see, we just spent a whole series talking about the truth that we live in because of the scripture and because of Christ. So now what do we do with that truth that we hold on to? Well, we need to live lives of ambassadors. We're going to call this series, Oh, the Places Will Go. Now, I know what you're thinking. That looks like a copyright problem, doesn't it? Well, what you don't know that maybe you do know that I know that you know, we'll follow that on the interpretation there. 
gotcha. Is that Dr. Seuss has a book called Oh, the Places You'll Go. So we've titled this Oh, the Places We'll Go because this is called Ambassadors, which means we don't go alone, we go together. It's really important. Okay? We go together. Oh, the places will go. And we're calling it, oh, the places will go because I'm anticipating that God is going to do some work in our lives that will move us beyond our comfort levels towards his plan and his purposes for our lives. Now, before we get too far in, I want us to hear our series big idea. So something that we're going to sit in each and every week before we get to a spot where it's like, ooh, ambassador, oh, I don't know about that. Like, it seems like that might be out of my gifting or we might use our talents and that, that, that might be out of my talent zone or things like that. Before we start saying those phrases over and over again in our minds like I normally do, I want to say this. If you've experienced the good news of Jesus, then you're equipped to deliver the good news of Jesus. If you've experienced the good news of Jesus, then you're equipped to deliver the good news of Jesus no matter what your giftings may be. Giftings are given to us to share the kingdom, not to hinder us from sharing the kingdom. See, today we're going to be looking at a scripture in Acts. In fact, the entire series, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And I want us to process through these questions together. Are we ready? Are, are we ready for what God might do in our lives? Are we ready for the ways that God might stir in our hearts? Are we prepared for God to wreck our comfort for his calling? Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Very familiar passage for us in the church. And I want us to be on the lookout for the ways that the early church was readying or preparing themselves for God to move in and through them. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Luke writes this about the fellowship of the believers. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were together, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word for us today. Luke is the writer of Acts, and he writes these summaries at the beginning of this book to, to answer and explain a few questions that were commonly asked about this early church group, these Christ followers. Who, who are they and what were they doing? And he writes this summary to describe the identity and ministry of the early church. Now Luke clearly writes about the actions of the early church and what they did, how they grew in knowledge and belief, how they lived a life together, what their worship looked like, how their generosity went far beyond a smile and a 
handshake. Luke gives us a clear picture of a church that was ready. A church that was on the starting block, a church that had places to go and a message to share. And this morning, we're going to spend our time answering this one question, what made the early church ready and how can we learn from them? There's three characteristics of the early church ambassadors that we can learn from and as we ready ourselves for God to move in big and mighty ways. The first is this, ambassadors are focused. Ambassadors are focused. When we go back and look through this passage, we see clearly that the early church, the leaders and the lay people, the listeners and learners, they were all focused. Our passage starts out that way, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, the word devoted can be translated in many different forms, but most biblical translations in this verse land on the word devoted because of the verb being translated in the imperfect tense, we can conclude that this was a continual devotion. It was persistent. It was, it was a persevering devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and community with one another. Luke's writing style helps us conclude that this was an ongoing devotion that was dedicated towards growing in their knowledge and growing in their relationship with the Lord through the apostles' teaching and community with one another. Now the question might be, what were the apostles teaching, especially in a community like ours? We want to know where the syllabus is. What were they teaching? What, what would they have been listening to with such diligence? What was being taught? The apostles regarded teaching as one of their main responsibilities. So it's something they, they would have not taken lightly or would have simply thrown together. The centrality of Jesus and the preparation of the people around them to share in the new life and witness to others would have been key community concerns here. The topics and themes of their teaching would have highlighted all kinds of instruction like what we see in the Gospels and later on in the letters throughout the rest of the New Testament. Ethical and practical teaching and grounding in the central promise God had given in Christ himself. And we see evidence of this back at the beginning of chapter 2 when, Paul, when Peter delivers a sermon at Pentecost. Now this is the same Peter who had doubted Christ on the Sea of Galilee and started to sink. This is the same Peter who denied Christ during his trial. It's, it's that same Peter that is now the one who is speaking with bold confidence, who is focused and determined that others will see and hear about Jesus in the same way that he has. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to a lifestyle of community or fellowship together. And we see this show up again as we continue reading, and we'll circle back around to this topic of togetherness because it demands more attention later. They spend time breaking bread together, and most scholars believe this was in reference to both sharing a simple meal together and also sharing the holy meal, right? Communion together as a practice of worship. Now, the breaking of bread goes, goes way beyond just the potluck of disciples here. The breaking of bread was symbolic in so many ways for the disciples. It would have acted as a reminder for them of Jesus breaking bread with the 5,000 in Matthew 14. 
Or Jesus sharing communion with the disciples around the table during the Last Supper in Mark 14. It also would have brought to mind Jesus revealing himself to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. After his resurrection, when Jesus sat and ate with the disciples, he broke bread with them. The breaking of bread goes way beyond the simple, hospitable gesture of sharing a meal together, but it acts as a reminder of the hospitality of Christ. It's where Jesus met physical needs through nourishment. It's, it's where he met spiritual needs through his sacrifice. It's where he met eternal needs through his resurrection. The breaking of bread was an intimate interaction and mutual acceptance that was a part of their community life, but it most importantly acted as a consistent reminder of the hospitality of Christ. So the next time someone invites you into their home to share a meal, be reminded of how we were first invited into the loving arms of Christ. They devoted themselves to prayer, and in the ESV you'll notice that, that the word is plural. It says they, they were dedicating themselves to prayers, which, which implies the regular practice of prayer. Perhaps it's referring to the traditional prayers that the Jewish culture would recite regularly. I love how Daryl Bach writes about this reference of prayer in his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, prayer seeks God's direction and is dependent upon God because God's family of people do not work by feelings or intuition but by actively submitting themselves to the Lord's direction. I love that. You see, prayer is not just submitting our requests to God, but it's an opportunity to refocus our devotion towards God and His design for our lives. Prayer is more than submitting our requests to God. It's placing ourselves in a state of being completely satisfied by His will. Ambassadors are focused. They are devoted in the right direction. Verse 43 talks about awe coming upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And when we really break down what is being said here by Luke and the words he uses, we again see that their focus is in the right direction. The word awe can mean fear or terror, but in this circumstance, it means reverence or respect. And at first take, it can look as if the early church has started to look at the apostles in this way. But we see this couldn't be further from the truth. As we break down these, these words, wonders and, and signs, wonders means a display of God's presence through God's people. Signs means an act of, of miracle performed by God, Christ, or a man of God. And so the origin of these wonders and signs are not the branches, but through the vine. It's not man's doing, but God's doing through man. Luke is very careful as to how he words this passage so that the focus remains in the right direction, so that awe is in the direction of God and not themselves. Awe has filled every soul because they are focused on what God is doing through the apostles. They're seeing ordinary men do extraordinary signs and wonders, and their reverence continues to point up. Ambassadors are focused. And Satan does all he can to divert our attention, to distract us from what matters most. I mean, we just spent an entire series talking about the lies that Satan comes up with that sound true. He's so good at it. God just wants you to be happy. 
You only live once. Follow your heart. Your feelings are reality. Your life is what you make it. You need to let go and let God. God will not give you more than you can handle. These lies have a way of sidetracking our attention and leading us down a path where media becomes our source, culture becomes our strength, and we become our own king. You see, Satan doesn't care about who is king in our lives as long as it's not Jesus. If we are going to be ambassadors of truth, ambassadors of Christ, as Paul calls us, then we must be focused in the right direction, the direction of Christ. See, ambassadors of Christ cannot be focused on themselves, on on our preferences or on our opinions, on the storms or circumstances that surround us. We must be focused on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done just as the early church did. We need to be devoted in the right direction. We need to be focused on Christ. Ambassadors are focused. Ambassadors also meet needs. If we take a good look at the early church, we will not see division talked about. We, we won't see lines drawn or sides taken. We'll see one church moving together as one unit, united together where community is highly valued. No one is left out, no need left unmet. Verses 44 and 45 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. Luke says that all were together and had all things in common. What emphasizes the unity that was being shared, the special community that they had. They were looking out for one another and when needs rose, so did people along with those needs. People that would step up people that would step in to assist in those needs. There is no mention of helpful advice, only helping hands. There's no mention of judgmental looks or tone, but generous hearts and actions. Why? Because love and compassion are front and center, because Jesus was front and center. These words that Luke uses for selling and distributing are really important because, again, they are in the imperfect tense, which means they are continually happening. It's not a one-time deal. These are continually happening. People in the early church are continually responding to the needs of others by continually selling their possessions and belongings and continually distributing the proceeds to all when needs come up. They're motivated by concern for the needs of their community, It's not a one-time gift. It's not a one-time service project. It's not a one-time need. It's a continual opportunity to step up and step in as Christ followers, as ambassadors to meet needs with love and compassion. No one is left out. No one is left on the sidelines. No need goes unseen. This is what fellowship looks like. It's not the old school fellowship hour where we're all standing around holding the rock card cookies that somebody's grandma overbaked. Who puts nuts in chocolate chip cookies? Stop that. Nobody likes that. Amen? Don't do that. Take them out before it dings. It's fine. Soft baked cookies, that's why they make them. 
That's not what fellowship is. It, it's, fellowship is not when we stand around on Sunday mornings, ask someone how their week is, but we don't stand around long enough to listen. True fellowship is a deep dive into the life and into the needs of others. It's where community is born. It's where division is crushed. It's where unity is fought for. It's where honesty resides. It's where judgment dies. It's where generosity lives. And it's where Christ is exalted. And Paul writes about this same kind of unity in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about the church as one body. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You see, while we each play a different role, we each play a valuable role as ambassadors of Christ. The most important aspect of this is that we move forward together. We are ambassadors no one is left out. No need is left unmet. Ambassadors meet needs. Finally, ambassadors are worshipers. Ambassadors are worshipers. It's, it's not just the twice a month on Sunday mornings. They are worshipers inside and outside the church walls. The walls of the temple are merely a location, but worship for them has become a lifestyle. Verses 46 and 47 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Daily they were attending the temple together. Daily they were eating in their homes. Daily they were receiving with generous hearts. Daily they were praising God. Daily God was adding to their number of those who were being saved. Luke is intentional about his wording here. Day by day is front-loaded at the beginning of this list, which indicates that worship, fellowship, generosity, praise, and God's blessing were not just added to the list of ways to pass time. This was not just part of their weekly routine or ritual. This was not just something they did once a week or twice a month, but they were intentional parts of their day, intentional parts of their community, intentional parts of their lives as ambassadors. Worship, fellowship, generosity, and praise were not optional. These were the ways in which they lived their lives. And because of that, they got to watch God do some amazing work in and through them. The early church was a church that was ready. They were on the starting block. They were waiting for their marching orders. They had places to go and a message to share. They were ambassadors that were focused. Focused in the right direction. Learning and growing. Spending time in community with one another. Breaking bread together. Praying with and for each other. Standing in awe of God's greatness together. They were focused. They were ambassadors that were meeting needs. They were together. They were close. They shared beyond the normal prayer request, but shared lives and needs. They shared possessions and burdens. 
They were the type of community that walked through life together. No one was alone and no need went unmet. They were ambassadors that worshipped. They worshipped daily and consistently inside and outside the temple. They were not attending to check it off the list, but attending the temple to tend to their hearts. Which brings us to our big idea for today. Ambassadors are ready when hearts are surrendered. Ambassadors are ready when hearts are surrendered. You see, true focus on Christ relies on a surrendered heart to Christ. The ability to continually meet needs in the name of Christ calls for a surrendered heart to Christ. Sincere worship of Christ demands a heart that is surrendered to Christ. The early church was a learning church. They were a fellowshipping church. They were a praying church, a reverent church, a sharing church, a worshiping church, a happy church, a generous church, a church that was surrendered to the will of Christ together as ambassadors. They were ready. Are we? Are we ready? There's two questions I want to leave us with today. Two questions I want to end our time with today. And these are internal questions that should be asked of ourselves. And with any luck, we'll remember them tomorrow. Question one, what spiritual rhythms need to be in place that would allow me to daily surrender my heart to the Lord? What spiritual rhythms need to be in place that would allow me to daily surrender my heart to the Lord? What's a holy habit that I need to set up in my day that would allow me to every day surrender my heart to the Lord? Is that prayer before I reach for my phone? Is that Bible study before I reach for my phone? Is that buying a $5 alarm clock so my phone's not the first thing I touch in the morning? Is that riding to work in peace after you drop the kids off somewhere so that you can gather yourself before a busy day of work? What spiritual rhythms need to be in place that would allow me to daily surrender my heart to the Lord? The second question is a question of prompting. Where is God going to use me today? Where is God going to use me today? I think if we answer those two questions, it'll spur on our readiness. It'll help us be prepared for what God has in store for us. Oh, I'm excited about the places we'll go. Let's pray.